Koinonia, Christian fellowship, communion with God and with fellow Christians. Koinonia, an association of people who share common beliefs and activities. This is Koinonia. This is Community. And now, your host, Tom Brown. Welcome to Koinonia. This is Mark Buckley filling in for Tom today. I hope you're doing well. I'm enjoying this beautiful day. There's always challenges, always battles, and always opportunities when we follow the Lord, and that's the good news. With me in the studio is Chris Schoenlab. Chris is one of the elders at Living Streams Church. He's been a marketing executive for many companies. He's filled with wisdom. And we're going to talk a little bit today about economics. We're going to talk about what's happening in our nation in terms of a massive federal debt. We're going to talk about what's happening in individuals' lives as far as uh, economic challenges, debt and struggles and wise investing. And we're going to talk about marketing and corporations and how to um, thrive in the midst of challenging times. Chris, good to have you with me here. Um, thanks for being my guest. It's great to be here, Mark, and I, I look forward to a great conversation. Give us uh, your corporate background and uh, your spiritual background. Start with your business background, and then you can talk a bit about your faith. Well, my business background is I, I was in uh, corporate marketing for more than 40 years, Uh I started out my career at Procter & Gamble where I learned my trade, and then I worked for various companies, including uh, Pet Milk, an ad agency, Needham, Lewis & Brorby. I worked for a wine company, uh, Gallo Wine. I worked for a car company, American Motors. Mm-hmm. And I uh, probably got better known when I became the vice president of marketing for Burger King Corporation in the 70s. And, and then and yeah. after that, I was at Arby's, and I actually was president of Swenson's here in Phoenix in the early 80s. And I finished my career in Chicago as the executive vice president of marketing for Midas. Wonderful, wonderful. Congratulations on that. And didn't you come up with the slogan, where's the beef? No. You didn't? No, I came up with the slogan, have it your way. Have it your way. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, shucks. Well, Burger King, I mean... Uh, yeah, Burger King is... Where's the beef was Wendy's. That was Wendy's, okay. Um, and how about your faith? How'd your faith come alive? My faith came alive when I was sitting in a church, uh, a rather elderly age, like 40, and suddenly I realized that there was a person out there who was more interested in me than me. Uh, I was brought to the Lord by a pastor who simply pointed out the unescapable fact that we're on this earth for a reason. Mm-hmm. And I didn't know my reason, and I needed to talk to God about it. And uh, from that on, I became on fire. I read the Bible uh, cover to cover many times. I've been in Bible studies ever since. Uh, I, and then I had a, a, a four-year period where I thought I was going to die of Lou Gehrig's disease. Which is a brutal way to die, isn't it? Yeah, and I wrote a book about that too. But basically what I learned in that period of time was that the Lord not only is in charge of your life, but he's going to take you through and mold you to what to a, a point of view about life that he can use you. And, and uh, since 1999, I have been totally involved in trying to figure out why I was saved from that terrible disease Mm -hmm. and have worked with churches. I've been leaders in 
a church, and, and of course, I totally embrace the idea of a church that preaches the gospel every week, which is why I'm in your church. Well, and we're glad to have you, too. Our church is Living Streams, and we're glad that you're listening today on the program. We're going to be talking about economics and the reality of God's kingdom. Jesus is alive. That's why we're here. The Holy Spirit has been poured out upon us. That's why we can be refreshed in the midst of all the challenges and battles of life. Stay tuned. This is Mark Buckley. We'll be right back after these messages. Welcome back to Koinonia. This is Mark Buckley, and in the studio with me is Chris Schoenlab. I apologize for a poor mic on Chris earlier. Chris, say a few words. Oh, I'll say a, a lot of words if you give me a chance. Okay. <laughs> I'm going to start with a um, magazine cover story I just read from Time Magazine this week. The cover story is about the national debt, which is $13 trillion um, if you don't count the money the government owes to itself. In other words... It actually owes some trillions of dollars to that's been borrowed from Social Security, but that's intergovernmental lending. So they figured at thirteen trillion something, which comes out to forty three thousand dollars a person. That's a lot of money for every man, woman, and child. And if you add up the other debts, if you add up the state and local government debts and and what people owe on everything, it's just astronomical. Um, what is your – I mean, and basically the premise of this cover story is that it can't go on forever. It's The party is going to come to an end. There will be a day when people will not be lending to the American government, and the first signs of that will be significant interest rates um, rises, which increases the cost of the debt substantially, but it will eventually grind to a halt. What are your feelings about that? Well, I think it's a reflection uh, that we have the debt and that we're not – we don't have a program to try and address the debt is is a an indictment yeah. of our government and of our society. I think the big problem in society today is that people are looking for what they need, not for the better good. They're not looking out for anybody but themselves and if uh, 47 percent of the people don't pay income tax to help support what's going on, uh, I think we, we have a real problem of personal responsibility, and it's my problem, not their problem. And we don't – it's, it's – Or it's your problem, not my problem. Exactly. I yeah. said it backwards. Yeah. Well, I, that, that's a good point. Now, I, I'm not sure if that 47 percent is accurate because I know Mitt Romney quoted a percent like that. I think what he's talking about is that – the total percentage of people that live off of the government, which includes the military. And you know, Social Security. and Yeah, and Social Security and everybody that works in any government agency, including congressmen. You know what I mean? So that, it's not all bad. No. That, you know, there's a certain percentage which is very legitimate. Um, and then there's and, – and it's – 
I mean, we're in an incredibly prosperous country, but the problem is it's an empty bag when you realize that we're funding it all through debt based on the good faith and credit of the United States government, and that credit will eventually run out. Uh, Yes, that's what we all believe, Um, but if we run out of credit, the world runs out of an economy. And yeah. and um, perhaps we better pray that the end times come before that. <laughs> so, I mean, when I look at the two political parties, I see guys like Bernie Sanders who truly seems to believe that it doesn't – the debt is not really a problem. Um, now, I agree with him when it comes to the some of the charges he levels against the banks, which is that, you know – there were $200 trillion worth or $200 billion worth of fines levied against the big banks and not a single indictment. No person spent a day in jail. Um, that shows the power of the money and some of the corruption that has infiltrated our society. But I definitely don't agree with them that we can afford to offer unlimited health care, unlimited college educations and so forth, and that we can make it up just by putting more taxes on the wealthy. You know, Mark, I, I agree with that, but I was a poli-sci major in college, and we, we recognize a socialist when we see it. Yeah. But I think the biggest problem in this country is the fact that we have lost our Judeo-Christian culture. Yeah. We no longer have a homologous, hum, hum, whatever, homogenous society that has one set of beliefs. Mm-hmm. Uh, and... You're not going to – we no longer f- find ways to get consensus in Congress. Yeah. It's, and, and I think that's a crisis of, of, that the church needs to be addressing. I, I think it's a pr- crisis that every Christian has to be fighting for every day because if we don't have values, we'll never uh, – what do we care? We're salt with no flavor, which Absolutely. Jesus said is just worthless. It should be thrown out. So, okay, now – Here's the other irony of the election. The one guy that seems to have the most concern about the debt and the best uh, initial solution, or if not a solution, at least addressing it, is Ted Cruz. Ted Cruz is a brilliant politician, but he also has a horrible track record about getting along with people and building consensus. Um, And I don't know if it's because he's so brilliant and so convinced that he's right that any compromise would be selling out. It'd be like compromising your faith. When it comes to political issues, it's not like we're talking about the virgin birth or the inerrancy of scriptures. We're talking about a means to an end, the best way to lead the country into a prosperous economy or into a righteous righteous decisions and so forth. So that that's a bit perplexing to me that Ted Cruz would have such a good grasp. I mean, he, he advocates a flat tax. He advocates everybody doing their share, that kind of thing. But at the same time, he doesn't get any endorsements or didn't initially because of his inability to work well with people. Well, and that goes right back to business or anything else. Uh, to a certain extent, you are a leader. You can only be a leader if people like you. Right. If people will follow you, they, if they don't like you, they're not going to follow you. I found that in business. I found that everywhere yeah. I've ever been. And there's something in uh, that 
with a lot of people that Ted Cruz turns off. They, uh, I find him very unlikable. Yeah. Um, on the other hand, there's some other philosophies advocated by Donald Trump and Bernie Sanders that the real problem in America is our jobs and we've lost manufacturing jobs and all because of trade imbalances. And their proposed solution is basically to force companies to produce goods and services in the United States, to uh, tax imports, and to create trade barriers, which I think would be a total disaster, not only for the world economy, but for the American economy. Right now, we have 5% unemployment. And even if there's underemployment, and some people would like to, you know, work but can't find a real good job... At any given time, at least 4% of the people are out of work because they want to be out of work. <laughs> they're, look, they're, they're changing careers. They're transitioning. So where would we get all the people to do all these manufacturing jobs? Um, and how, how costly would it be if everything from iPhones to every motor vehicle to every refrigerator and air conditioning unit was all manufactured in the United States? Where are the workers going to come from? Well, I don't think that's I, I don't think that's really the issue so much as the the issue is what is the vision that our country's economy should have. I mean, workers, most workers today, or an awful lot of workers today, are on part time jobs because they can't get full time jobs. They are they are doing two jobs because they can't make enough money on one job. Uh, I think the the economy is. Become a service economy. Mm-hmm. I mean, when I was in the restaurant industry, uh, we, we we became fifty million people work in the restaurant industry, and a lot of those people are minimum wage folks. And so, I think what we're arguing about is how to fix an economy that is underemploying its talent and its staff. And they're looking at all these jobs going across the ocean, and they're saying, if we ha- left them here, we'd have a better economy. Yeah, uh, but you can't. Leave them here unless you create a major trade barriers because most companies, if they can manufacture an air conditioning unit for $500 in Mexico versus $1,500 in America, that's what they're going to do, you know? Yep. So I think personally that um, sometimes we're trying to fix something that isn't quite as broken as people assume. You know, there are many countries in the world, they have 20%, 25%, I mean, unemployment, Spain and Italy and all over Central and South America and um, Asian workers are getting paid far less. I mean, if, if you don't have a really good education, if you're not a disciplined person, if you're not a real hardworking, faithful, loyal person, you're going to suffer in an economy like this. Because there, it is more competitive for the good jobs that are available. Well, I, there's no doubt you're right. Um, and I don't really think that I have any real answers to those problems, and nor do I think very many of the people running for office have answers to those problems. Uh, I, th- I think there has to be a coming together in this country, a, a realization and getting a vision of where we're going to go. We had it under Reagan. We haven't had it since. Mm-hmm. So 
What are some of the things that you learned in your career, which covered a myriad of corporations in terms, what what advice would you give to a young guy entering the corporate world in terms of how do you position yourself to have a good future? Well, first of all, the most important thing that you've got to do is figure out whether you're going to fit into the culture Mm -hmm. that you're that you're entering. I had a career where I was very successful in five companies and very unsuccessful in six. Mm-hmm. And what was the difference? It wasn't me. It was the culture where my talents fit, where I could create something to happen versus being in a culture where uh, I, I clashed with my mm-hmm. superiors or I clashed with the, with the things that were going on in that company. I didn't agree with it. So I think, first of all, you got to have – culture. Secondly, I think you have to understand yourself and you have to look for values. Mm-hmm. I've never want, I left one company because I did not believe in the values that company stood for. And if you are going to live a prosperous life, the good Lord doesn't want you working for a company that is amoral in any way, shape or, or form. immoral. Or, yeah, or immoral. And we'll talk about some of those con- companies like the payday loan industry that is just ripping off the customers uh, when we come back. We're also going to talk about the kind of values and, that a culture would have and how you identify them. Because sometimes we're naive. We don't even understand the values of a company until it's you're already in over your head. This is Mark Buckley with my guest Chris Schoenlab. We're both from Living Streams Church. We're glad to be with you here today, and uh, we ask you to stay tuned. We'll be right back after these messages. back. Welcome back. This is Mark Buckley. My guest is Chris Schoenlab. And um, Chris, we're talking about culture in a company. You said that you should work for a company that you fit in the culture. Give me some identifying characteristics of the culture of a company that you fit well in, and then we'll ask for some identifying characteristics of a company that you did not fit well in. Well, culture starts from the top. Uh, whoever's running the company sets the tone for the company. Is the company going to micromanage what you do? Mm-hmm. Or are they going to give you freedom to act and and uh, guide you? Mm-hmm. Uh, how, what is their management style? Because if you're, not, if you're not comfortable operating on your own and that's the way they expect you to operate, you'd be miserable in that company and you'd fail. On the other hand, if you don't like micromanagement and having everybody tell you what you're going to do and when you're going to do it, you better not get in that company either. So you better figure out. Yet some people are actually more secure. I mean, I immediately think of the military. People would rather be secure and take orders than they would work in an uh, industry where they might get laid off or there's more freedom but more job insecurity. Yes, but they might get laid off whether they followed orders or not. 
well, the military they don't usually fire. People. No, 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 you no. I, I and but but that's that's critical in a company because mm. if to be effective, you've got to be able to use your talents in a way that you're comfortable. Right. Okay. So first thing you identify is you're an entrepreneurial guy. You are a self-starter. You want to use your gifts and talents to to further the mission of the company to make money for the company without somebody micromanaging you. What's another aspect of the culture that you've identified that you like? Uh, you've assessed the uh, carefully the person you're going to work for mm-hmm. and perhaps hopefully the person he works for Yeah, uh, because if you don't like them on the get-go – Going in, if you're you, definitely not going to be liking them down the road. Never going to like them down the road, and it, that sounds crazy. But but there's personality clashes, and and you've just you've got to work with people that you're comfortable with. Because uh, if you don't, you you are you're going to be miserable every night. And believe me, if you go home to your wife and you're miserable every night, you're not going to be effective. Life is too short to be in a job you hate. Amen. Um, so I'm immediately thinking, Chris, of a church, because a lot of times people say to me, uh, do you know anybody in Greeley, Colorado, or do you know anybody in Orange, California, or wherever, uh, a church? Do you know a church there that you would recommend? And so l- many times I'll do know, I will know a pastor, or I will be familiar with the church that I'd recommend, but many times I'm not familiar with anybody. So I'll tell the people I think the most important characteristic, besides the fact that they're preaching the Word of God, is their character. How do they live the Word of God? But you're taking it one step further. You're saying, um, is this a culture, and I'm applying it in a church now, where I would be free to use my gifts in ministry, or is this a culture where it is my way or the highway, it is the pastor's vision, or no no operations at all, because churches reflect very different values when it comes to how you're going to do ministry, you know? Well, my view is, having worked with churches as well as worked in the business world, is that in in a lot of ways, churches are more difficult businesses. Yeah. Because uh, there's always the thing, well, the Lord told me to do this, uh, which is important, uh, which but again, you you have an organization where the pastor sets the tone for the church and right. sets the direction. And one of the things that um, pastors have to cope with is, especially pastors in smaller churches, it's mostly all volunteers. The larger the church, in our church, we have a large paid staff, um, which is very helpful because you can say, this is the, the program we want to do, this is the the mission, this is the vision, whatever, and you've got people that can carry it out, and then they can mobilize volunteers. But when we were first starting our church, everybody was a volunteer. So whether it's the children's ministry or the youth ministry or the picnic on the weekend, you've got to work with people that are only there because they love Jesus and they love the relationships and they want to cooperate. So um, I think it's a, it's a particular skill set to manage volunteers, and I'm going to transfer for a minute to politics. The reason I don't think a great business leader necessarily would be a great president is because a president has to operate in a totally different manner than a business owner. A business owner can operate like a dictator. He can tell people that are paid for 
to work for him what to do. But a president has to work with Congress, is hemmed in by the, the court system, has to build consensus and and use compromise, whereas a, a business owner, if they understand their products and believe in what they're doing and their mission, they can be pretty pretty straightforward in comparison to a politician. Yes, they can, uh, but the really great business leaders are consensus builders. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, they always talk about Jack Welch and uh, General Electric. General Electric, he had uh, – he was a one tough hombre to work for, mm-hmm. but he he would hold people to results. If that's what they wanted to do and they say that was the way it was going to build the business, that's fine. Just produce. Yeah, you got to produce. You got to produce. And that's something. And, and that's true really across the board, isn't it? I yes. Mean, you earn the right to have a measure of freedom by having good results. Absolutely. Now, you're always going to have to be humble in any organization. You're and some people say, well, it's political. Well, the reality is there, there is a – the Bible says give honor to whom honors redo, do. You know what I mean? And yes. so if you're joining a church, you're joining a company that's already existing, there, there needs to be an honor for what has been done and what has been built. Even though whatever you join, you're going to want to mold it and shape it and change it a little bit. That's human nature, and that's a good thing. Because you're adding value to it through your gifts. Well, one of the things that I learned over the years is to be successful, you've got to understand the art of the possible. Mm -hmm. You might have a great idea, but if your culture and your organization doesn't have the interest or the resources, I don't care how good the idea is, it isn't going to happen. And you can just break your pick trying to get it done. Mm -hmm. So I think one of the key things in in the church— Everywhere is understanding, well, we want to solve the homeless problem. Yeah. Well, that's not going to happen in one small church or one big church. Right. Uh, so what is the art of the possible? What can we do to contribute? To- exactly. One step at a time to help. Like in our case, we have nine homeless guys that we have a house for that gets them off the street, that provides medical care for them because they've come out of hospitals and so forth. That's our portion, you know? Right. And, and, and there are other portions done by people like the Phoenix Rescue Mission. Right. They're and, doing a terrific job. But we have to work together if we're going to make that all work because the art of the possible is not none of us can solve that major problem that the Lord would have us solve. Yeah. And Jesus said, the poor you're always going to have with you. What, what he's basically saying, there's a certain amount of people that are always going to be struggling but the scripture also says, he who gives to the poor lends to the Lord. And, you know, if you abuse the poor, you take advantage of them financially, their cries are heard in heaven, and you're doing it at your own demise. Absolutely. It's going to cost you. Um, what are a couple of other key elements in a culture that you've been able to identify going into a job that you say, this is a good fit for me, this these are the kind of characteristics that make me want to work for a company. Well, what is their goal as a company? Are they – I was never wanted to be in a company that was trying to manage the status quo. I wanted to grow. I wanted to have an opportunity to bring ideas and grow mm-hmm. and add, add to that company. 
if you're happy managing so that you're not a risk taker, if you're a, if if you're happy not taking risks and you're not an accountant, uh, if you're in marketing, for example, then you ought to work for a company like, let's say, Coca-Cola, mm-hmm. where your big job is to keep the business going yeah. and keep the the op, uh, up. It's not to find the next great drink. drink. Yeah. Uh, so to me, that was always critical because I was always a grower, and let's 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 see what we can do with these things. Uh, and you know, beyond the personality of the of the person you're working for and beyond the person, uh, beyond the, the culture of what's the boss really want to do. Yeah. I, I, I think if, if you, if you get to those three things, you can pretty well figure out what, whether this culture fits you or not. You know, you mentioned Coca-Cola. Um, we're not getting paid by any sponsors here. So I'd like to just address that for a minute. Years ago, a young man in our church was going to, go to work for a fast food business. He was going to become a franchise owner. And he was a health food guy. And I, I challenged him. I said, do you really want your career to be all about developing and serving products that you don't personally believe in? Like for me, I don't drink Cokes. Not that I don't like the taste. They're not good for me. They rot your teeth. They're not good for you any way, shape, or form, including a Diet Coke. So I would never want to work for a company that, that the end product is something unhealthy, you know. Um, I, I believe for Christians that the business that we're in is an, a network of relationships that God wants to use to both help us grow, provide for us, and for us to influence for his kingdom. So, I mean, I was in construction for years. I would build Fences between neighbors. Sometimes the neighbors didn't get along. I I didn't find my value in the fence because I wished that they would didn't have to have fences between them. But I found my value in discipling my employees, getting to know the owners of the property, talking to them about the Lord, etc. Um, so anyway, we'll come back and address this a little more, and we're also going to talk about the books that you've written. Um, Chris Schoenlub is my guest. I'm Mark Buckley from Living Streams Church. We meet on the corner of Central and Glendale. We'd love to have you come and visit us sometime. We're there at 9, 15, and 11 every Sunday morning. But uh, we'll be back with more in just a minute. Stay tuned, please. This is Mark Buckley with my guest, Chris Schoenlab. Chris, you've written this book, um, Battling Marketing Myths, Foxhole Tales from a Corporate Warrior. I, I love the, the title. The picture is great on the front cover. And um, I'd like to talk about some marketing myths. I, I had a mini section in my sermon last Sunday on marriage, which was called Marriage Myths. Yeah. What are some marketing myths? Well... First of all, a marketing myth is 
a fact that's not a fact. It's a fact that everyone in the organization – It's an assumption that's not a fact. No. Well, right. But but you believe it's a fact. Yeah. And the, the classic one that everybody knows is over about the age of uh, 20 is, is when Coca-Cola back in the late 70s decided that they had to reformulate Coca-Cola because uh, people didn't like Coke, that they preferred Pepsi. And so they spent all this money and all this time because they believed it was a fact. Mm-hmm. And they'd run research and the research had proved it was a fact. Well – Research can be as misleading as anything I, I know of if the research isn't conducted exactly right. At any rate, we all know what happened. They brought out a new Coke, and there were marches in the streets for old Coke. And I know you don't drink Coke, but Coca-Cola at that time was just a huge endeavor, and every marketing guru in the country just shuddered because really? they wondered What's well, what a, what, yeah, but what, how, what, how it was a disaster within the first week, wasn't it? Oh, absolutely. Totally. It was, uh, yeah, it was. How much money did they lose on that campaign? You have any idea? I have no idea. I think that there, there was some number, and remember, this is the late 70s. There was some number like a, like 500 million uh-huh. uh, that was used uh, because you had to gear up manufacturing and all that. But yeah. marketing myths. Uh, it was actually, it was actually. The mid-80s, because I was living in Phoenix when it happened. I remember us buying a six-pack of old Coke, thinking someday this will be worth something. Because right. I mean? <laughs> we'll never see it again, and people will long, you know, the bottle, right. the old-fashioned bottles and everything. But what happens is, I mean, they're, they're, uh, in every organization, this is true. I mean, th- this could be true in our church. Yeah. Uh, for example, uh, I think there is a... There's absolutely no doubt that everyone in our church believes the location we're in is perfect. Mm-hmm. It couldn't be better. Well, perhaps it's driving off a lot of people who would normally be our audience. I don't know, and I'm not arguing that this is a marketing right, right. myth. I'm just saying that in every organization, it's always smart to say, what are the five things that I believe are absolutely true that I don't have any real basis for other than my own opinion. Your own assumption. And, and, and what my cast, my, my, the people I work with ha- have uh, yeah. believe. Well, and, and there are more advertising campaigns fail, for example, advertising the wrong thing mm-hmm. because they spent all this time trying to solve the myth rather than to figure out what the problem was. Yeah, that's a really good point. Well, um, we, we deal with those kind of things. I mean... I remember in Marin County where I started my ministry, um, people believe this is such a hard place to reach people for because there's so much, you know, drugs and suicide. And I've probably been in three or four different places over the years where they said, you know, we have the highest suicide rate in the country. (laughs) Totally different (laughs) places. It's always the darkest, dreariest place, you know, spiritual oppression. But in reality, we built a ministry that was really fruitful, and we reached a lot of people for the Lord, and it was wonderful because we just didn't accept the fact that you weren't going to reach people for the Lord, and we were reaching and getting people saved because many of them had never even heard the gospel because the few believers that were in the area didn't bother to share their faith because they believed the the lie that their people weren't spiritually hungry for Christ in that area. Yeah, I... I, I, I a personal belief that the biggest lie that that or, or marketing myth in in a, in a lot of churches is that 
we need to be talking more about how to apply uh, our faith than to teach the faith. Mm-hmm. That that uh, there are churches that get all lost in in all the programs that we're doing, mm-hmm. as opposed to why we're doing them and who, who that God's in charge, and that we all need a personal relationship with our our, our Savior. And and yeah. and that happens in all organizations. They yeah. get sideways. And they lose their focus, and yeah. and in, in marketing, the the marketing is is really common sense. What is it that I am? What is it? How would who would who would really be interested in this? Or who who do I really want to get interested in this? And how do I get them? Yeah. Good point. Good point. So marketing myths. What are some other marketing myths that? You're aware of well. Uh, I had one in in my life, uh, and that was uh, when I went to Burger King. Uh, they were always advertising the Whopper sandwich mm-hmm. because there was great research and great belief that the big thing that made Burger King better was the fact we had a bigger sandwich than McDonald's. Mm-hmm. It was called the Whopper. And uh, one day uh, I was listening to a couple walk by a meeting room and they said, what's Burger King, dearie? Because in those days Burger King wasn't very big. And, and yeah. he answered, uh, well, Burger King, you know, it's just like McDonald's. They sell hamburgers. Yeah. And so I said, well, then maybe we're not getting a message that anybody's differentiating us. And yeah. so we went out and found out that the real thing that made us different was that when you order a sandwich at Burger King, you can tell them what to put on it. Yeah, you can say uh, hold the mayonnaise or whatever. Yeah, hold the pickles, hold the lettuce, special orders don't upset us. Well, the point was that was a big myth, and the the moment we started that program, our sales went up 29% the first week because we were telling people what they knew was true, uh, and we were telling other people uh, that— Get it the way you want it. Huh? Get it, and of course, it was the it was the era of the me generation, and mm-hmm. so it really appealed to them. No, did it slow your order process well, down that, significantly? No, because the system was built to do it in the first place. Okay, it was a built-in advantage that no one had taken advantage of in twenty years. They had they just, no one had taken advantage. Well, I want well, to maybe say, a rare. Relatively well, few the, the, people. The, the customers had taken advantage of. They uh, knew it. The heavy users all ordered their own Whopper. Uh huh. But other people who were going to fast food in major droves in those days, I uh, didn't know it. So at McDonald's, you can't tell them to hold no. the let you, no. you get it the way you, you want it. it, and then you can throw away what you don't want on it. Exactly. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah. That's funny. And and I'm sure there. You know, I don't want to bore any audience with a lot of those, but. But marketing myths, um, we had a myth at American Motors. The myth was that all we had to do was build a performance car, and they'd forget we built Nash's and mm-hmm. and and, and boxcars. Yeah. And so we built, we built a race car mm-hmm. uh, called an AMX and took it out and set a land speed record with it. Didn't affect sales at all because that wasn't the issue. The issue was we we didn't have quality cars. Right. <laughs> yeah, <it's just laughs> a minor detail. You had but, funky little grandma cars or something. Yeah, and you know, there's an old saying that advertising makes us buy things, mm-hmm. but there's an equally better saying that says advertising can make you buy something, uh, attract you to make it you buy it once, but if you don't like it 
You'll never, you'll never touch it and again. And you're not a good uh, sales representative because you'll tell everybody you don't like it. That's right. Um, one of the myths that I discovered here in Arizona when we first moved here, people would say, uh, I'd say, well, we're going up to Sedona, and they'd say, oh, there's a lot of spiritual oppression up there. You know, people are under the pyramids and all this stuff. Well, I had come from Marin County where there was a heck of a lot more <laughs> spiritual oppression, but spiritual oppression does not control our destiny. You know, the truth is Satan um, does not own any territory. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. The only territory Satan owns is when people open their lives to him by believing lies, by welcoming demonic forces or demonic spirits into their life. And Jesus Christ has all power and authority over those spirits. We can command them to leave anybody at any time. That's the good news. The good news is that Christ has triumphed. And I'm I'm wanting to preach the good news, Chris, just for a minute because we, we, we don't want to just simply be talking about the politics or the economy or whatever. The good news is that Jesus said anybody who seeks his kingdom first, he's going to provide everything they need. That's been my experience for 45 years following Jesus. It's been your experience, um, and it'll be our listeners' experience. You can put the kingdom of God first and have a good outcome. Um, even if you disagree with somebody about politics, if you both love Jesus, you can have sweet fellowship. You can build one another up. You can add value to people's lives because Christ is the great treasure that we share together. There's no doubt about that. And I, I've found over the years that great friendships grow and build when you're a, with a fellow believer. They, 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 they love you and they care for you. And I have friends all over the country because I've worked all over the country that we, we share with each other every week uh, uh, via email mm-hmm. and via phone because the brotherhood that Christ can bring to your, into your life is, is just priceless. Amen and amen. My guest is Chris Schoenlab. I'm Mark Buckley, one of the pastors at Living Streams Church. We're right on the corner of Central and Glendale, and we'd love to have you come by and visit us sometime if you want. Or you can send me an email at org if you've got any questions about who we are, what we do, what we believe. You can look us up on the web at livingstreams.org and uh, download any sermons you want or look at one of our broadcasts live. I had a lady from our neighborhood just called me today. She'd been watching our live stream, and she really liked it. Um, Chris, um, you've written another book about a miracle healing that you experienced. Do you want to just mention that? Yes, I wrote a, I wrote a book uh, called Only God Could Heal Me because in 1995, the Mayo Clinic told me that I, was, uh, I had Lou Gehrig's disease, and I had about 18 months to live. Well, well how, how did that impact you emotionally when you got that diagnosis? It was remarkable. I found for the first time I wasn't afraid. I was amazed because I knew where I was going. And what I was really worried about was what was going to happen to my family. Yeah. For the first time in my life, a self-centered marketing guy was worried about other people because he knew where he was going. He was going to go see the Lord. Amen and amen. Stay tuned. My guest is Chris Schoenlob. We're going to be right back after these brief messages. 
Welcome back to Koinonia. This is Mark Buckley with Chris Schoenlab. Chris, you were diagnosed with Lou Gehrig's disease. We just have a couple minutes. What happened? How did the Lord heal you? Well, I don't know how the Lord healed me. Uh, I don't, uh, I, and, I, and I don't know why he healed me, which is probably— Well, he wasn't done with you, and we're, that, we've been really blessed by you. Yeah, and, but I spent a lot of time— if, uh, What happened was I, uh, I, I became uh, very crippled. Uh, I couldn't walk between—I um, had an electric cart to get around in. Mm-hmm. I couldn't dress myself. I had to retire from working. And I, uh, but at the same time, I wasn't following the normal pattern of Lou Gehrig's disease. So the Mayo Clinic tried some, uh, tried some treatments to see if they couldn't do mm-hmm. something. They they concluded they couldn't, and told me that I probably wasn't going to die of Lou Gehrig's disease, but I was going to be totally crippled with no use of my arms or mm-hmm. my legs by the year two thousand. And you walked into this radio station all yeah. by yourself. You put the I, and I drove here. Yes. Yes. And and what happened was in 1999, um, one day, I started getting better, and I, I got in 60 days, I got 50 percent of what I'd lost back, and I can walk, and I can talk, and I can do all those things, and I attribute all of it to the power of prayer. Mm-hmm. Uh, I I had people praying for me everywhere at all times, and I learned how to pray. I prayed every day for God's will to be done in my life, and that if by any chance, Lord, I can't bargain with you, but if you ever, if I get out of this mess, I promise you, I'll dedicate the rest of my life to serving you. And that's exactly what Chris has been doing. I'm Mark Buckley. My guest has been Chris Schoenlab. He is a man of God. He's one of the elders at Living Streams. And I hope that you will believe God for the battles that you have to fight. He has grace. He has power. Change doesn't necessarily come immediately. Miracles aren't always going to happen exactly when you want them, but your father loves you. He's got a great plan for your life, and we hope that you will cooperate with that plan. If you want to visit us at Living Streams, we're on the corner of Central and Glendale. Look us up on the web at livingstreams.org or come by 9.15 or 11 a.m. on a Sunday morning. We'd love to have you with us. Thank you for being our guest today. May the Lord give you grace and peace. Thank you.